and I, I, and I feel like that's the problem with the world today is no one looks in the mirror they always look across the table so I, I always look at it as if I'm a guide if I if I get to the point where I can't make a living in my bay I will stop guiding I don't say it's anything you choose I think it picks you you know it's genetics it's like a I said it one time before it's like a dog you know you get dogs that hunts and dogs that eat shit you know you're either one or the other Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for checking out the Captain's Collective podcast. In today's episode, we sit down with Brett Martina of Appalachia Inshore. Brett grew up and now guides in his hometown of Appalachicola, located in the northwest region of Florida, along Florida's Forgotten Coast. Appalachicola has an incredible southern charm to it, and if you've not been, you should definitely check it out and schedule a trip to get out on the water. As you will see in this podcast, one of the things that I really appreciate and respect about Brett is that what you see is what you get. He is Brett through and through, and this is a fun, unfiltered conversation about his hometown roots, fishing, authenticity, and the challenges of protecting a great fishery. We tried and failed to get a full recipe for his soft-shell crabs, but nevertheless had a great time hanging out and experiencing some of the town that he loves. We hope that you will continue to share and support this podcast, and we hope that you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. He tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him. You got him. He's on. Uh, Two butt caps off the rods, filled them with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There there ain't no getting into it after that. It's, you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time flips, the, he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. And he turns around, he says, you talk so much, you're like a senator. So, cool, Brett. Thank you for coming and joining us on the podcast and giving us some time today. Appreciate you having me here. Could you just give us a little bit of background about how you got into guiding and also pepper in some history about Apalachicola? So, I wouldn't say I got in the guy, I'd say God chose me. I wouldn't say it. Uh, I picked it as my, my living. Uh, as a kid, growing up, that's all I did is fish. I mean, hell, I got fired from a volunteer job for fishing too much at the estuary. <laughs> that's the, that's so, uh, all I want to do is stock the, uh, stock the tanks all the time. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, fuck. Of course, this is the way this shit's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to go good. I need a drink. I get drunk, I'll talk all night. I've been sleeping all day, about halfway sick, so see how it goes. Uh, so, you know, I all through high school, we'd get done baseball practice, we'd go fishing. I did a little commercial trout fishing when I was younger with a guy here. Um, you know, later on in life, you, you know, I realized I need to be more on the conservation side of things and than to kill all, you know, and this worked out for me pretty well. You know, it's a very niche market where I'm at mm-hmm. as far as the fly fishing, shallow water, spin fishing game. But, uh, you know, over the years, it's treated me pretty well. And uh, so I'd say I wanted to guide when I graduated high school, but my mom wouldn't let me because there wasn't no benefits, there wasn't any retirement, you know, health yeah. insurance, the whole nine. And, um, uh, so I went and took my captain's license test, but I never went and took the actual test. You know, I did that when I was 18. 
And what'd you do instead? I did telecommunications till I was 22, and then I went full time guiding. Okay. So I've been guiding now full time for 10 years. Did you get a chance to fish a lot when you were doing the telecommunication stuff? I fished every day when I got off. So it wasn't like it was, I wasn't learning, you Mm -hmm. know? I would say, in a weird way, that probably helped me out, you Mm -hmm. know? Missing those four years because I got to learn some things on my own instead of being thrown out to the wolves. Mm -hmm. So when I did start guiding, it made me, you know, I was. I was a little ahead of the game than what a lot of people would be. Mm-hmm. And I read that you caught your first tarpon when you were 12. Yeah, 2001. What's that story? Uh, it was uh, off a pass. Uh, my dad was sitting on the beach. We saw him out there rolling. We ran out there. And I, you know, that's something I always... No, I jumped tarpon before that, but that's the first one we landed. You know, That's back in the day when you put a gaff in their mouth and you drug mm-hmm. them inside the boat to look at them. And normally your mortality rate was about a hundred percent then. Mm. You know, it's hard to hard to keep a fish alive back then. But uh anyways we ran out there, we threw like twice and we hooked up. We fought that fish for I wanna say two and a half hours. Wow. And we finally got it to the boat. You know, that's back in the day when you was fishing with ugly sticks and uh sixty five hundred Abu Garcias. You know, the the Stratics and all that wasn't really around at the time. Yeah. You know, so and your experience was like mostly trout and redfish, or uh, trout, redfish, and tarpon. And basically. then, and then you got a two-hour fight with a tarpon. That was the first time you put your hands tarpon on tarpon. Was always my thing, though. Yeah. Even when I was young, okay. fifteen, I was tarpon fishing. You know, and I would during fall, I would primarily just hunt. Spring, I'd redfish, trout fish, and then summer, I'd tarpon fish. Okay. And was that something that your dad did, or how did you get into that around I don't know. here? I don't. You don't even remember? I will say I think it's, uh, I don't say it's anything you choose. I think it picks you, you know? It's genetics. It's like mm-hmm. a, I said it one time before, it's like a dog, you know? You get dogs that hunts and dogs that eat shit, mm-hmm. you know? You're either one or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I, th- I don't. I don't think I picked it. It picked me. When did you realize, like, when did that light bulb click on for you? Boy, that it picked me shit when I was a kid. I just couldn't. How young, like six, seven? No, nah, I mean, when I was six or seven, you know, my granddad had an old Cobia boat back here that uh, when I'd cry, they'd go put me in the boat. And my gra- my great-granny had a house at Lake Wales. He used to always go down there and go fishing. Mm-hmm. We had a houseboat up the river, always fished off that. Uh, fly fish were brim. But then the salt water, you know, caught your first redfish, and then you, you know, you learn little by little, mm-hmm. you know. And I used to fish the IFA tournaments when I was with Fred Myers when I was 14 and 15. So I fished all the redfish tournaments. Did you do any sports in high school or was it just baseball? A little bit of baseball? Tennis. Okay. And cross country. Okay. Yeah. Diversified. Yeah. I was a little bit of everything. (laughs) Um, Tell me about when you were 22 and you were doing the telecommunications job and you decided that you were going to go against your mom's wishes and become a guy. Uh, Years burning. Yeah, hers are, for sure. Uh, well, they had my job, and they were going to terminate my job. I worked at East Point. I worked at St. George Island. They would terminate that job. And all, basically, I took all my vacation anyways just to guide, you know, at the time. So it was just like, you know what? I mean, my, my clientele's there. You know, I fished a, when I was young. When I was 18, I was fishing with, you ever heard a guy named Fitz Coker? Mm-hmm. I was fishing with Fitz and uh, the Orvis guys. Back when I was 17, 18. How did, how did that happen with, the, like, a kid out of Apalachicola? Oh, well, I'll tell you how that happened. That happened with uh, 
uh, Chris and Tommy Robinson knew Fitz, and they fished Fitz back then. It was like, hey, you know, Fitz don't fish all the time, but, you know, you and Fitz need to hook up, you know, because I was young, up and coming, mm-hmm. and I had some things that – I had fisheries that not everybody had access to, mm-hmm. you know, and they still don't because I keep them quiet, mm-hmm. you know. And if somebody shows up, I'm going to run them out. Mm-hmm. It's basically what it is. So – you talked a little bit about your family history and being in Apalachicola for a long time. Long time. Um, does your family have any background in the fishing industry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Both sides do. Uh, one side I won't, you know, um, the, my uncle still uh, crabs, he shrimps. My uncle Squeaky, so when I was young, he used to go crabbing early in the morning to come out and put my boat overboard for me. Name was Dennis Martino. That's who I shot my first deer with when I was in seventh grade. Uh, and then Uncle Bill crabbed. Uh, my Uncle Kevin, he still crabs and he shrimps, mainly crabs now. Uh, my dad, he used to shrimp. You know, everybody, the whole, basically, you know, but the problem with Appalachia is if, if y'all see it now, the, the commercial industry has obviously started dying out and it's turned into more of a, a tourist industry. You know, you go downtown, you can see it. It's not what it used to be, mm-hmm. you know. So are you the first-generation guide? No. No? No. Second. No, third, technically. Okay. On one side. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of background on Apalachicola as a city? Because I think this is a, a really cool fishery that's very different from... It's very diverse, for when, sure. Yeah. When you think about tarpon fishing, you don't usually think about a small coastal town. You usually think about the Keys or... For you sure. Know, yes. Could you tell us a little bit of history about the city? Oh, the city, you know, I mean, it's hard to say because, I mean, it's changed so much. I'll just say from what I've seen, you know... Uh, the history, what I've seen as far as the fishing side of things, I've seen it go from, you know, 10 guides to probably close to 80 now. You know, I went to seen the downtown district go from, uh, we had an old place where we used to go get our, get our Abu Garcias, our 6500s and our ugly sticks and our, we used to throw a pink top dog back in the day. And you had broke back bombers for tarpon fishing. And uh, it was a place called Power Sporting Goods. So it was just power sport goods. There's old what's the hardware store down there, Wes? Riz. Yeah, that's his family. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, that's all it was. We had a seafood reef. We had a uh, red top, Reese's pizza, the hut, uh, Chef Eddie's. No, Papa Joe's. Yeah, no, that's four Papa Joe's. That's about all we had to eat. Yeah, the grill, the grill was still there. I'm tell you, boy, that Red Top Reese's Pizza was hit, Red boy. Top was the place to be. That was. What was the fishing like when you were a kid? Like, how have you seen the fishing <laughs> side of Apalachicola change? Give us, the, give us the timeline of Apalachicola fishery. The, the good old days. Oh, man. Uh, Tina's been with me during the good old days. Well, it has. I mean, we've all seen it. You know, I mean, there was times where I could say, okay, well, the tide's doing this, and it's going to get high and it's cloudy and this. We can go throw gold spoons and I catch a hundred redfish a day. Mm. Pretty, it was a kind of pretty standard practice mm-hmm. at one point, especially at the beginning of my guiding career. Before that, you know, I didn't redfish as hard as when I started guiding, you know. I did the spring stuff and Jordan's been on one of the spring bites with me over here, but that don't happen anymore. You could throw a brick in the water. Yeah. Every cast it didn't matter 
But that will never, that will never, we will never see that again in our lifetime. But, you know, that's that's the change I've seen. And now if you go to that spot at the same time, this happened every year in a two-week window. And if you go there now, you may catch one fish, two fish maybe. What do you, what do you attribute to that? Pressure. Not necessarily pressure. I mean, you, you know, you go from a fishery that went from 10 to 12 fishing guides, then you quadruple it almost like i probably said there's 60 to 80 maybe even close to 100 now and it just can't i mean granted you're still catching fish you know you're still making a good living people are enjoying themselves but it's not to the magnitude as it once was Mm -hmm. like you even talk to guys that fish in louisiana and they tell you it's nothing like it was five to ten years ago out there same thing it's pressure you know population's growing uh there's nothing gonna slow it down Mm -hmm. you know Fishing has become uh, something cool to do. When I was a kid, fishing was the last thing people wanted to do. You know, social media has made it where, you know, you can be somebody that you weren't. I don't, I mean, I mean it just changes the whole game. You know, it makes it, makes it different. I'm going to tell you that. So, What environmental factors do you think are in this area? if any, are playing into Oh, for sure. That definitely affects it. But, uh, you know, you see, like, places I make a – like, yesterday I fished a place where I used to be able to go get shots at Black Drum because there was two oyster bars. Like, small little bars that hardly nobody knows about. About the size of this table one of them was. And it's sand now, basically, with a little bit of shell. doesn't have one live oyster on it. Five years ago, all those bars were live. Mm-hmm. And they're gone. And Apalachicola is known for being an oyster city, but now you're saying you guys are seeing a big slide down from that. I mean, could you explain a little well, bit about that the to us? Well, the whole commercial industry, oysters over with, besides the, the new farming thing, you know. That's, I mean, I, that's basically going to be the future of it. What, what do you attribute to that, though? Fresh water. Uh, with like Atlanta, Latin. yeah, I mean that, that's affected it for sure. You know, it's it, but it takes a long process. You know, you got so you got other, you know, you got Atlanta, then you also got just say the intercoastal that goes to St. Joe. You got Bob Sykes Cut. You got other places that you have saltwater intrusion that you know maybe we could control a little bit. You know, but not going to do it. It's too late now. I mean, it may be years and years and years before. I just don't think it's ever going to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your, um, so you have a lot of friends who fish all over the states, Louisiana, Keys, South Florida. How do you feel like your upbringing here has differed from somebody who would come up in the Keys or come up in Tampa or come up in Louisiana? What's unique about coming up in Apalachicola? Well, I think this is, uh, like true Florida, you know, old Florida. And it's like, uh, say a lot of people say this isn't really Florida. It's just like the extension of South Georgia. Mm-hmm. And it's totally different than if you go to the Keys or Miami or, you know, mm-hmm. even Louisiana, which I think there's great people in Louisiana. Some of the best in the world, I think, live in Louisiana. But, uh, you know, I think you have a different attitude. There's more Southern hospitality. You know, you're nicer to people. Um, it, it's different, you know, because take it for what, like last weekend I was in Austin and nobody out there thinks you're from Florida. I'll thank you from Alabama or most of them say Alabama. Yeah. And you feel like that's kind of played into some of the hospitality that you oh, bring into sure. what it's you're doing. My, it's helped my business. You know, I mean, it, it's always fun to fish with a guy that's from there. 
Yeah. You know, because they can divulge in your history, your family history. They, you know, you go to a restaurant, you know everybody. It's like they are, they're local too when they're fishing with you. you know? Have you ever thought about leaving here? Like when you were younger, did you ever think about leaving here and going down to the Keys or doing something like that? No, I ain't never even fished the Keys. Wow. Uh, I ain't never fished the Keys, never fished the Everglades. I've ducked kind of Louisiana, mm-hmm. but that's about it. Man, I just mainly fish here. Mm-hmm. It's home. Yeah. You know, I don't want nobody coming here fucking with me, so I ain't going to go fuck with nobody else. So let's talk about that a little bit. So obviously there's a lot of contention that happens between traveling guides and local guides. Yeah. No, you know, I'm friends with all the traveling guides. Yeah. Every one of them, you know, and I, I, I love them, you know, but... I don't travel to anybody else's water mm-hmm. and try to make a living. So I always look at that as if I'm a guide, if I if I get to the point where I can't make a living in my bay, I will stop guiding. Hmm. And do you think that just comes from as a kid growing up here too? I think and, that's pride. Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do with pride. You know, it's just like, uh, it, you know, when you, when you watch a fishery, when you grow up here and you watch it and you watch it go, up and down and declines and you watch the bite get tougher and you know the tarpon bite here has definitely gotten tougher mm-hmm. than it was five years ago even 10 years ago you know when i first started guiding you just flop a fly out in front of them and they smash it you know it's not that way anymore all the time and that's from pressure you know and it's become popular and you know you got one tarpon spot that should only accommodate one to two boats and there'll be four boats on it mm-hmm you know, and if the fish gets hit, four boats each spot. I mean, the chain. They, it's like a ping pong. That's it. They 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 wisen up. They swim deeper. They get educated. Yeah, they, they don't they don't do the same things they used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see it all the time now. Like fish don't rub the way they used to in certain places. Mm-hmm. How has the dynamic between you and your clients changed as Apalachicola has become more of a tourist destination and catered towards? that sort of business model mm, mine hasn't changed much because uh i would say over the years you build a brand for yourself you know like people want to come fish with you mm-hmm. they don't come to apalachicola most of my guys don't come to apalachicola to visit apalachicola you know they come to say okay we're exclusively fishing with brett okay you know i mean i definitely i get overflow from that but man it's a it's a lot of repeat clientele for me how did that come about? Like, how long have you been guiding? Ten years. Ten years. Let's see. Hard work, dedication. Uh, you know, being good to folks, being respected on the water, hmm. uh, thinking outside of the box too. Yeah. What does hard work look like if if you're talking to a young Brett who's beginning at the the start of his career? I worked harder then than I do now. <laughs> well, what did that look like? Man, it's just nonstop. You know, you got to fish. Fish, you got to put your guys on fish, you know, whether, whether I'm fishing. So the thing about me is if I'm fishing over here, I'm 60 miles to the east and nothing's going on, you know, some people's going to just sit there and grind that shit out, mm-hmm. you know, hope for a couple shots. Well, I'll snatch my shit out and I drive 60 back 80 miles to the west, you know, to make something happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that when you fish guys and they understand it, you know, they, they know what's going on and they see the effort and, you know, word of mouth travels fast, mm-hmm. you know. Have you always been that way as far as moving around? Oh, God, yeah, probably too much. <laughs> like at 16, what what do you do when you're 15 and you can't drive? You drive anyway? My Uncle Squeaky would put my butt overboard for me. Uncle Squeaky? Yeah. 
He put my boat over for me. Mm. I exclusively fished Appalachia at 15. Yeah. For sure. And, and then I migrated over towards Carabelle. Mm-hmm. And Chris and all them, when I was young, they gave me a little cer- certain section I could fish. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they was working and I wasn't guiding at the time. They said, yeah. well, you can fish over here where you don't mess with us. Yeah. You know? What did that conversation look like? Oh, it was great, you know, because I... I mean, he's he called me today. You know, we talked today. We have a great relationship. Yeah, he's been doing a lot longer than me. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've I've proved myself to them in finding other things that you know maybe they didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that as a fisherman, you know, people gain respect for you. Is that a is that a boat ramp conversation? No, that's a home conversation. Yeah, <laughs> boat ramp's a little too public for some things. <laughs> But nah, he's he's been a good fellow to me. David has everybody, you know, everybody's been pretty good to me. Nobody really messes with me. Do so. you, do you feel like I would think one of the differences between somebody who travels and somebody who's a hometown, you know, hometown kid would be some of those relationships. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, it's a, it goes a lot further. You know, I mean, but you know, everybody. So the problem is, is this the Starfinder is such a small community as it is. So everybody knows everybody. You know, social, especially like now the social media world is definitely intertwined and connected a lot more you know five years ago you would have said brent who was so and so i said i don't know you know mm-hmm. but now you're like oh well you see them now you mm-hmm. know and i think everything's intertwined now you know the main thing is is the everybody get along and you know respect each other and the fishery like that's the biggest thing we're gonna have to worry about as the as time travels you know is it's worried about how do we protect these fisheries. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned when you were younger and you first started tarpon fishing, you guys would gaff them and pull them to the boat. Oh, yeah. What, for you, kind of led you towards caring about conservation? That's a, You know, maybe I – hell, I used to keep every fish I caught, you know. I did all that. You know, i catch it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I caught five redfish, I'd keep five redfish, you know, when I could only keep one or vice versa with the trout. Uh, you know, I think you uh, – when you start seeing changes, when you've been doing it, not necessarily guiding, but you've been fishing, when you watch you go from being able to catch 100 redfish to 70 to 50 to 20, now to 10, and when you see that, you're like, oh, shit, you know, it, it startles you. She's like, oh, well, we got to protect it, you know. But granted, if it's just like a penny jar, you know. If it, the problem is it doesn't matter what I do. There's more people taking that to Penny Joy than just me, mm-hmm. you know. But if everybody gets on the same page, I mean, Apalachicola could probably be the best fishery in Florida, basically. How do you feel like people who are in your position and you've put in some time and you've built a reputation for yourself, how do you guys feel like you can help try to turn the fishery around and make it a better place, especially with the younger kids coming? Well, the younger kids is what you're going to have to affect. The older ones, you know, the older generations are tough because that's the way they grew up, you know. Mm. But they'll they'll tell you they've seen it change, you know. Everybody will tell you they've seen it change because it's, I mean, you can't, I mean, I bet you look at the population 10 years ago in the state of Florida and then look at it now on a spreadsheet and you'd be Mm -hmm. like, holy shit, Mm -hmm. you know. It's a lot more people. There's a lot of people talking about that now, about trying to keep Florida wild. They ain't gonna be able to keep it wild. I mean, it's well, it's just, wild. It's just wild in a different yeah, way. Yeah, wild. Yeah, with people. <laughs> <laughs> wild with people. Can can you? So one of the things you were talking about is, so one of the things you were talking about is, you know, when you're younger, you've always run around and 
tried to kind of figure stuff out. How, how have you tried to learn how to scout new areas along the way? Cause I feel like something that was interesting to me when prepping for this is just thinking about how there's an isolation around Apalachicola. I mean, you guys have St. George Island, but mm-hmm. you know, you kind of came up in an area that was definitely unique as far as, you know, trying to figure out tarpon, trying to figure out redfish fly fishing. How did you kind of try to piece that together as you would scout? Mm. Hold on, say that again. I started drinking how, my whiskey. Yeah, just how, how did you scout? How do you, how do, how do you like to figure stuff out and scout? So I tell you, when I started guiding, I took a whole winter, actually two winters, where I said I wasn't going to duck hunt. Yeah, that's my other, that was my other passion. I basically took one winter. So I wasn't going to duck hunt, I was just going to fish. Mm-hmm. You know, because you had to, because that was a certain time of the year, I didn't understand the fishing as well, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't understand what the fish did or what they did, when they did it, how they did it, you know, and I was like, well, I got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So I took a whole winter and I fished every day just about to learn every little nook and cranny, you know, mainly red fishing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I dialed that in. And then the thing with the, the, uh, you say how I used to scout and things like that. Tarpon, the beauty of tarpon is, is uh, if you have a good day, Sometimes you guys will let you move around a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, or you can say, and you know, the thing is, is a lot of times when I was guiding, I'd be like, Hey guys, we're going to stop right here and check this spot out. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know, you know, then all of a sudden you're sitting there, like, oh shit, here comes a fish, mm-hmm. you know, or vice versa. You see one outside of you, you move out, you get on the line, then you're on fish. You know, there's a lot of times I've, one of my best tarpon days ever come off a spot which we won't discuss i'll just tell you the name it's called the mexican <laughs> uh it's uh we knew about the spot you know it's a very i'm not gonna elaborate too much on it. it's just a really good spot when it works i'll put it that way and uh anyways my guy we showed up with fishing a little spot we had a great morning at this one little area his name's julian gomez i call him dirty rice uh he's from mccallum texas and uh, we moved to this spot. I got on the push pole, which we already knew it. I just fished it the other day, but it was like the first time I really tapped into it. And we had uh, my best, my career day there. Mm. I won't elaborate on that, but it was just a really good day. Mm. Yeah. So when for you, so you're 22, you start off, you start guiding. Mm-hmm. You're in Apalachicola. There's not a ton of guides when you first start. When did it click for you that this is going to work? Mm, I don't, I don't never, th- I never had a doubt it wasn't going to work, you know, cause it's something I always did, you mm-hmm. know, and I already had somewhat of a, I guess you say reputation fishing the Orvis guys with fits and being around everybody's clients, you know, cause Chris or one of them would be like, Hey Brett, fish our guys. We're fishing them in a couple of days. We'll let them fish with you. Mm-hmm. So basically I was guiding, but I wasn't getting paid, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I think that jump started me in my whole career. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said I think it was good that I just didn't go straight into God in a mm-hmm. weird way. Well, if if you're cool, I'd love to transition to some rapid fire questions, kind of have some fun here and pick your brain on some stuff. Go ahead. All right. So I know that you, when you were younger, your grandma owned a beauty salon, shop. beauty still shop. She still does. Still. Is that where you get your hair done? Yeah, when I have to make well, what little bit of hair I do have left. <laughs> Um, and so in what ways has that maybe impacted the way, like the culture of a beauty salon being hospitality and lots of conversation, has that impacted you as a guide? Uh, yeah, it makes you more social. You know, if you're at a beauty shop, you have to be social because all this is a bunch of women and they're gossiping all the time. 
That's all you hear is gossip. This does this, somebody does this. You know everything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. You don't. My mom and them know more stuff about people in this town than they probably need to. You know. And you feel like that's helped you some with your people skills. Or I mean, I think it's helping skills. Yeah, I'm sure it has because you know you got to speak to them. Yeah. If if you weren't a fishing guide, what would you be? Oh fuck. Telecommunications. <laughs> Not van guy. Fuck no. Mm-mm. No, that was miserable. I thought that was your second pass. Like slamming your dick in a door. I thought that was that. Thought that was what you did on the on your free time. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's a great question. Damn sure wouldn't be a porn star. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I don't know shit. That's a great question. Uh, that's a good thing that you don't have an answer because that means that you've been focused on this and yeah, haven't been. Fuck! I don't know if I fucking broke my leg tomorrow and I stopped. I don't know what I'd do. Fuck! I guess work at Burger King and raise hell like everybody else does for fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah. There you go. So. I know that you're passionate about trying to go all in on whatever you do and go yeah. full speed. Have you always been that way? And how have you Everything tried to protect I that? Do. How do you try to protect that? Because that's something that I, I feel like when you hang out with a young kid or something like that, that's that's their... <laughs> uh, I feel like when you hang out with a young kid, that's how they are. you know. And then yeah. as you get older, a lot of times people you know, come back and say, you know, you start to calm down. How have you tried to protect that? I'd say it's an obsessive behavior, you know, uh, People that know me will say, like, when I do something, I go full bore. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be duck hunt, whether it be this or that. Anything I do, it's either in or you out. You know, mm-hmm. why not do something half-ass? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, if you're going to – it's just like being in a relationship with somebody. Like, if you're going to be committed to them, be too committed to them, you know, and not somebody else. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same, same principle throughout life on everything you do. What 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 different things do you go full speed in? You like to duck hunt. I know you like yeah, archery. I used to go super hardcore in the duck hunt, but I've eased out of that with the with the duck dynasty and the you know the guy shooting buffalo heads, blowing mallard calls all morning. Mm-hmm. That shit gets a little old. Now Jordan's sitting right here. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know. He's calling trend. them in. I started that trend. Mm. He watched your YouTube. <laughs> I saw it all. He watched three YouTube I videos. I rolled into a spot that. this year. I rolled up in there. I was late to the party. I figured I was going to be normal. You know, I rolled up. There's like 10 boats in this one little hole. And I'm like, shit. And they was all blowing mallard calls. And I said, you know, this this ain't duck cut. Mm-hmm. You know, like this isn't why I did it. You know, you, you, you go outdoors to get away from mm-hmm. humans, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, they, when humans interfere with that, then kind of takes the pleasure away from it. Mm. You know, that's why I kind of started deer hunting. You know, I hunt up my folks place up in Bluntstown, uh some nice people up there and then i go down to chief one with gray and them and they've everybody's been nice enough to say hey brett you know come up here and hunt with us mm-hmm. you know i got a place in alabama i hunt with some clients got a place in texas i can go uh and you know and, and i got back to why i did everything to start mm-hmm. off with started deer hunting again it's just it's the, you know you go in a tree stand you sit there by yourself you you know you're one with nature again mm-hmm. you know Instead of having somebody a hundred yards from you, yeah, blowing a mallard call when you ain't shooting a damn mallard, you know. If you could give one piece of advice to a young guy, just got out of high school or just graduated college, just quit his telecommunications yeah. job, mm. wants to, wants to go into guiding but has all the all the back of the mind things that tell you it's going to be hard. 
If you had one piece of advice, what would you tell that person? I'm going to sound like old Leland. What's his name off that movie off Taken? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, stay away from Apalachee Cola. <laughs> they can do that too. They can, it's going to be a hard road to hoe, I can tell you, because uh, I would hate to know I had to guide at this day and age. Mm-hmm. I honestly would hate to know I had to get into it, mm-hmm. You know, because it would not be easy at all. One of the things I appreciate about you, and even when we were going into dinner tonight, I saw like your sticker on the door and everything. But yeah. you're your hometown kid. You're proud of it. You have no shame about oh, where no you come from. Um, and I can tell that you you love your city and you want to protect it, and you care about the fishery. You care about the people. Um, what are ways that people who are similar to you can try to protect the fisheries they love outside of the obvious, maybe not blasting social media with stuff. Yeah. The social media thing and like people eventually are going to have to come to grips with that. Like, I mean, I understand a like is a like, I understand. I, I understand a lot about it, you know, but I feel like I see it all the time, you know, and in other places. And it's just like, they do not realize the damage they are doing to their fishery all because of, some type of justification from someone else. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. I got stuff that happens here I would never, ever, ever put on social media. Ever. Mm-hmm. Would never do it. And i tell you a prime example. Like, I did the Yeti 120 Days video, and the Discovery Channel called and wanted to do a, like, kind of like a swamp people, but Apalachicola Tarpon. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was going to, they wanted me to be in it, and I turned it all down because mm-hmm. it's not... Basically, it's not worth it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a hard... Uh, for a lot of people, that'd be a hard decision to make. A lot of people, because then you become... Famous or money. Exactly. But, I mean, what's it worth? What yeah. is it worth? What do you get out of it? Well, and I feel like a lot of people didn't get into this to be famous or No, to make money. but that's what social media has changed. The whole game, you did it because you love fishing. Like, there's a lot of guides in this world that you, you look at them and say, well... I feel like being a guide is a privilege, you know? It's just like I said, it's it's something that you're, you're bred, it's a bloodline, it's bred into you. You can't change it. And there's people do it that they just, they do it because they see money in it, mm-hmm. not because they love it. And that, that kind of gets under my skin a little bit because it's, uh, that's not the reason why I did it. Mm-hmm. Granted, it has provided me a, a good lifestyle and, uh, but if you ask me, if I had to go do something else, what the hell would I do? I have no answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. How can you differentiate a real from a fake as far as that goes? Somebody oh, you just really watched their it. childhood. You know, you know what they did all throughout their childhood? You know, if they fished, they mullet fish. Or if they didn't fish, then that tells you. Then yeah. they just, they in it for the money. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, oh, well, I got into it like, no, nah, motherfucker. You either did it or you didn't. Mm-hmm. You know? Something I've always wrestled with with like the whole discussion of social media is a lot of times the excuse is, oh, I'm growing my business because of like my Instagram page or I use it as a a networking tool. Um, But a lot of like successful guides that are posting this stuff, they're booked for the year. They They can't fit any more clients on their schedule. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So everybody's like, Brett, why don't you post tarpon this, tarpon that? I was like, fuck, I don't need to. I'm booked. I got 134 days on my books. I don't I don't need any more overflow. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's like, well, you could do this. I'm like, yeah, I could have 20,000 followers on Instagram if I wanted to, but I don't really give a damn. Mm-hmm. What about the art of it? 
thought I do like the art of photography, you know, and all those type of things. So how do you, how do you do that well? Like in your opinion, <sighs> like you're you're, you're hanging in your house. <laughs> Yeah, keep them on your computer and show your buddies. <laughs> Where can we follow you on social media? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about what I do with them anyways. Exactly. Yeah. Appalachian Shore. Brett Martin, I changed it. No. He'll send you one. He'll send you one of the text. Yeah, that's says, about where my image is. If images. I see this anywhere, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. That's about where it goes. You know? No, I mean, I feel like like there's some people who they just they love the photography. They, you know, they love all that. I mean, how do they how do you separate somebody outside of the childhood piece, you know, do you feel like there's certain characteristics that people who genuinely love it have that you've seen or noticed? Yeah, for sure. You know, there are characteristics. Like I've seen some kids grow up around here and I, and I, and I, and I there's one kid in particular, I'm trying to think of his name. I mean, he lives on the river, lives on the water. And, uh, I don't, I forget his name. And, uh, I feel like, and he's a guide now, and I felt like he deserved. Tell me about what the perfect boat would be. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> ah, well, I got three of them coming. Uh, I got a Glade Skiff, got a professional, and uh, Hills Bay may be having something big coming down the pipe, but we'll discuss that later. But can you tell me features wise, like what? Oh, uh, what wanna... do you care about in a boat? Oh, uh, I would say cup holder. Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> uh, dry. I like I, I like fishability more than anything as far as a tarpon boat. I mean, what are you, you know, there's a million different things, you know, as far as a boat could go. I have three of them, so. Yeah. That well, tells you. Talk, talk to me about why you have three boats. Uh, well, I have one boat for super skinny water, and then I had, then I just got a professional for uh, kind of an in-between deal. Or I can go run the beaches. I can fish out. I can do a little bit of everything. I probably say that's the most universal boat that I have. Mm-hmm. And then the other boat is a uh, it's a big water boat. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be dry, ride good, anchor well, stern anchor well. You know, a lot of things like that. So I don't think there's one perfect boat. But I will say, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say that professionals. The uh, as far as the middle of the line that can do a little bit of everything, I'd say that boat's the best. That I've been on. So, obviously, everybody knows you for tarpon and redfish. We have heard that you are pretty in, pretty big into trout fishing oh. for, for for your personal life. I would probably say that is my personal. A good trout bite's hard to beat. I'd agree. On jigs and top water, but it's got to be a good one though. Can't be no bullshit. It's got to be every cast back or every back. Other. Yeah, it's got to be like that. Normally, wintertime trout fishing, you know. It's kind of when it hits. I got a spot right now that's hitting like that. And I had to fish right there with my clients <laughs> the whole time. Yep. That's a special thing, but I grew up trout fishing and things like that. You know, I grew up, uh, during high school, I used to bootleg commercial fish for trout. That's how I made some money. Mm-hmm. $2, well, I won't laugh right now. <laughs> well, it's done now. I mean, Statue of limitation. Yeah, yeah. You know, we used to do a little trout fishing back in the day. And, uh. But now I don't do it, you know. Catch release, I just enjoy catching them. What do you think makes a great captain? Personality. So I don't think it's uh, – the fishing is uh, – I'm going to say the fishing is 25% of the trip. The entertainment is 75. If you can make somebody laugh, smile, have a good time, uh, divulge into their family a little bit, you know, like really get to know somebody. People appreciate that, you know. I mean, but some guys don't like to talk, so you don't talk to them fuckers. But, you know, some of them that they enjoy getting on a personal level with who they're with. Mm-hmm. And um, 
if you can show them a good time, I seem like I feel like they come back most of the time, make them laugh and things like that. One of the best pieces of advice I ever heard about, like you said, some people just don't want to talk, is mm-hmm. uh, I think it may may have been somebody we interviewed on the podcast. Is you get them talking about themselves because most of those those people that don't want to talk to you or don't want to yeah. talk about fishing or they probably end up they love in they love to talk about themselves so you get them started on <laughs> you get them started on their line of work or what they're into and that's how you sort of break that barrier i don't even try sometimes yep. it's like whatever motherfucker we ain't got to talk we ain't got to talk just being peaceful yeah because the next two days i got motherfucker gonna talk so <laughs> take a break <laughs> that's right enjoy the silence just like being in a library <laughs> so is there anything on your boat that you carry that's like unique to you that uh, unique to me that's a great question fuck probably my anchor <laughs> what t- tell us about that real it quick. is modified uh so you've heard of sea claw anchors mm-hmm. one of my buddies from uh the bahamas actually told me a little trick with them you know because normally all anchors just got the uh you know, the t-bar that goes across to set mm-hmm. the lockers cut it okay so i don't hit my leg anymore when i gotta throw it because when you target fishing you're yeah. throwing an anchor constantly yeah yeah and you're always like god damn i got this thing out here try to swing it around and throw it but now i can sit here yeah throw it right here never have to worry about hitting myself okay that's one thing i'd say is unique david's got the same thing him and i is the only one that's cut them yeah if you could put one thing on a billboard for every angler to see as they go out that day what would it be don't get in my way <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just say, Brett. Yeah. I mean, you ass. I know that you like. I know that you like to cook. I do like to cook. All right. So I'll show Chris probably my. If- talk us, talk us through it real quick. This is what we're going to end on. We're going to end on Brett's soft shell crabs for your next holiday party. Mm. Appalachian cola style. Talk what us through what you, you do. Like, he'll be back. He'll be back. His family's been in the crabbing industry. Yeah, so we, yeah. Years. I got some crabs coming pretty soon. We got three dozen coming. But uh, salt shells, you know, the main thing about a salt shell is got to be fresh. You got to clean them right, season them. I see, even if I'm frying, I season my fish. What are you seasoning them with? I can't. can't. You can't. You, we're not asking that's, for tarpons. That's, that's, that's a family all right, secret. All right. <laughs> yeah. all right. We're not asking for any spots. I'm just wondering yeah, yeah, some yeah. seasonings. You're yeah. not on pro staff with a seasoning company or not anything? Not yet. Traeger, though. All right. All right, we'll keep going. So you find a seasoning you like. Yes, correct. Uh, It just depends on what you like. You know, I like a certain season on my crabs. You batter them. Obviously, your grease has got to be above 350 to make it stick. I do not do any milk batter or anything like that on salt shells. What do you like to do? Just batter. Okay. Clean them well. Biggest thing is cleaning crabs is the biggest thing. Okay. Any other tips and tricks on from the kitchen? Do you think – you think – Cooking came from being in a town that's so, in my opinion, centered around, mm, like... My granny cooked, and I've always, you know, it, it intrigued me. You know, it, cooking at the beginning of, when you start cooking, is very intimidating, I feel like. It may be the most intimidating thing I've ever done. Even more than fishing. Especially sharing it with others. I didn't got nothing to do with sharing. It's just the intimidating, that you want to, same thing as guiding, is you want, you know... You cook for a group of people. You want them to really enjoy your food. That's what I'm saying. Sharing with others. You want to put something good out for them. That's right. Like you want it to be, and especially if you're in the already in the what what business would you say, man? Fishing. The entertainment business. You know, basically oh, yeah. that is cooking. You know, and 
when you put out a shitty product, kind of sucks. Maybe you can have a. I know you turned down the Discovery TV show. Maybe you can have a Food Channel TV show. Yeah, I'd be like, Emerald they'll blur Gossip. out all the. They'll blur out all your secret spices <laughs> mm. and stuff, though. Ain't a whole lot special to that. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to beat salt, pepper, garlic powder. Do you, hey, now. Do you have any any favorite memories of growing up in Apalachicola when it comes to fishing? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I'm trying to think of a memory, other than tarpon. What species got you started? Probably brim, old titty brim. Yep. You know, that's kind of what I started fishing, hybrid bass at Turtle Point. Uh, that's up the river. Fishing off the houseboat, you know. That's probably, I'd say, what got me started. I didn't start in the salt water, though. I started in the fresh. I think everybody kind of, some people start in the salt, but I started in the fresh. So when I was prepping for this and I was talking to people about what to try to bring up, everybody was saying the same thing, Brett's Brett. You know, yeah. Brett's what you see is what you get. That's and I feel like true. in an industry where there's a lot of people who kind of all look the same and act the same. There's a lot of fake motherfuckers, too. How, how have you stayed true? I mean, g- give us some advice on how to stay true, somebody that so they don't get sucked up into it all. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's just me. You know, I don't know how you – I can tell somebody to say true – because some people, you know, everybody's gonna make their own decisions of what they want to do, uh, but don't let don't let the, I just say don't let the social media and the, if you get any attention, don't let it get you, you know, because it can also ruin you too. Mm-hmm. It's a double edged sword, you know, mm-hmm. because I mean you got your peers, you know, that are still doing the the grind day by day without the social media, and they and they look at these other guys that do all this stuff, and they and they ex, exploit their fishery and. You know, it's not a good look, you know. Maybe on social media it's a good look, but in the inner circle of things, it's, it's uh, you know, there's conversations held, backdoor conversations. I will say that has been held. Mm-hmm. Last question. So I, I heard you once say everybody points a finger um, instead of looking for common ground. You were talking about that when it comes to issues. And, that's right. That's for sure. Can you, you tell us what it looks like you to find say, it? If you say 10 years down the road, Apalachicola has no more redfish. Just say, for instance, there are no more trout. You know, everybody's going to point a finger at somebody else and not ever say, well, we could have done something ourselves 10 years ago to prevent this situation. You know, they say, well, we could have let one one extra go a day, but you average that over 10 years and, you know, so many guides, that's a, that's a, a lot of fish, mm-hmm. you know, if you did the math to it. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I feel like that's the problem with the world today is no one looks in the mirror. They always look across the table. Mm. You know. Any closing words? Mm-hmm. Oh, I had to do this for my boy Tim Tindall, Chubby Chan. <laughs> you got to put that in there. We'll leave it on that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for giving us some time tonight, man. Thank you, homie. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective. We're really grateful for your support. We try not to bombard you with requests and countless ads, but I do have one request. Please take some time to share and let people know about what we're doing. It goes a long way for you to send a text message or a social media post or an email. So thank you again for the support, and we can't wait to see you next time. This is the Captain's Collective.